You're listening to the Phil Klein Dental Podcast from VivaLearning.com. Thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Phil Klein. Today we'll be discussing things to look for in a composite system and how to utilize these materials as efficiently as possible. Our guest is Dr. Anthony Manito, a private practice dentist as well as an adjunct faculty member at the Medical University of South Carolina. He currently works in a cosmetic dental practice that utilizes an evidence-based approach with the goal of providing the most durable and aesthetic dentistry possible. Dr. Manito has published a variety of research articles on the topics of dental materials. Before we get started, I would like to mention that Dr. Manito's webinar titled Everyday Composites Made Extraordinary is now available as an on-demand webinar on vivalearning.com. Simply type in the search field Manito, M-E-N-N-I-T-O, and you'll see it. It's an excellent webinar for the entire dental team. Dr. Manito, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. So to begin this episode, Dr. Manito, let's address the question that many dentists have when they first start practicing or they've transitioned to a different office. Um, In either case, they have the opportunity to select the direct restorative material that they'll be using day in and day out. And there's so many products out there. Can you give us some insight into how one would even begin to select the right composite for their practice? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, we all have things that we look for in a material, right? For instance, uh, maybe it's the way that it handles, right? Some people like creamy uh, composites. Some like something that's a little bit stiffer. For me, I, I want something that I can use in the anterior and the posterior. So I don't necessarily want to have a bunch of product in my office uh, that I may or may not use before it expires. I want one system that I can use for every, basically every indication. Um, so I can simplify things for, for my team in my office as far as ordering and keeping stock, uh, but also that are going to give me a great result when I have to work both in the anterior and the posterior. And that can be sort of difficult to find because there's a lot of niche materials out there, things that are used maybe specifically more geared towards aesthetic composites, you know, uh, class fours, veneers, things like that. Uh, and then some things that are geared more towards posterior composites. So to find that one sort of a, a material that fits all those indications is, I think, what what I would look for personally uh, in a material if I were just selecting one. So the material that you're currently using, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, how did you come across that material and what made you start using it on a regular basis as your go-to material? You know, we, we get samples all the time in our office. We have people who come around and they, it's great, right? We get to try a lot of things without, without the risk of buying a lot of products. So uh, I had a, a sample of Tetric Prime that my Ivaclar rep brought to me. Um, and, and what I asked specifically for was a dentin shade composite, because that's something that I utilize a lot in my practice. I, I think there's a lot of uh, benefit to having some, a, a material that's a little more opacious uh, to be able to utilize for a lot of different things. Um, and maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later, but, but I wanted to try out that dent and shade composite because I had currently been using, uh, at the time, a product that had dent shades for each shade available. So we're talking about having to keep in stock about 30 different shades of composites, which in a busy private practice is incredibly difficult to keep track of all that material. So I wanted something that was going to be a little bit more simplified as far as shade selection. Um, 
and a little bit more of that kind of chameleon effect, right? Where I didn't have to exactly nail the shade each time where I get a little bit of uh, forgiveness in my shade selection and it still looks good on the tooth. Um, so really I was, I was looking for something that had a dent shade within that system, but also had kind of good optical properties um, and would also simplify kind of the ordering and stocking of those materials. So when we talk about utilization of a dent and shade in your kit, I assume that's used primarily for anterior teeth, or do you also use it in the posterior teeth with your bulk fill? I do use dent and shade composites in the posterior as well. I find that when I take out large amalgams, which I still do uh, relatively frequently, uh, there's a lot of staining in the teeth. And sometimes it can be helpful to have a more opacious material that can kind of mask that. Uh, also filling in things like um, endo accesses and uh, implant accesses. I find that an uh, opacious material blends a little bit better to hide those um, those seams. And also for, for class fives, you wouldn't think of, you know, doing like a non-carious cervical lesion on a, on a maxillary premolar. If I want to really nail that shade, I find that a, the dent shade that I currently use, the, the Tetric Prime does that really, really well. Uh, if I can, if I can have uh, the right shade. So, you know, it's not just in the anterior. I certainly u- utilize it in the anterior for times when I'm, you know, covering a discolored tooth or, or fixing a class four fracture, things like that. But you have to just kind of think outside the box a little bit sometimes and in, in where you can utilize a more opacious material. So talk about the bulk fill system that you use and what you're doing currently on those large restorations posteriorly where aesthetics is not a major concern and you want to create a really beautiful restoration, but you want to do it quickly. Uh, you're in the back of the mouth, access is difficult, and you want the most efficient chair-side experience that you can get with you and your staff. Absolutely. I mean, I think we all have had experiences where isolation is difficult in the posterior and we need to get a restoration in as quickly as possible, right? So I, I love the bulk fills for those types of situations. And, and the system I currently use is, is Ivaclar's power flow and power fill system. And I have the, the blue phase light that goes along with that system that allows me to cure it each increment in three seconds. Um, and I, I was honestly a little skeptical about that system when it came out because, you know, I have an academic background. I taught it at the Medical University of South Carolina for 12 years. And so we're kind of we're kind of taught to, to um, you know, what does the research say about this? And and sometimes products are all marketing and, and you know, you're going to um, not necessarily have a, the best outcome for your, for your patients. But um, the research on that, it's actually been really positive. This three-second curing time that the system enables has been shown to work up to four millimeters, especially for the flowable. I think the flowables are uh, more easily cured than the packable materials. So that's that's a big part of what I utilize in my practice. And I, I will even use the flowable um, really in, in almost every indication when I'm, when I'm wanting to put a little bit of a base or a liner because of how effectively and efficiently those materials polymerize. Because let's face it, polymerization is a key part of everything that we do in dentistry when it comes to placing direct composites. And I think that's overlooked a lot. So if I can have a material that is going to polymerize more efficiently, it's going to give me peace of mind that that through each step of that process, that material is going to be fully polymerized. So I love the power fill system, but it's really the power flow uh, as the piece of that that I really rely on um, for, for almost every indication uh, in the posterior. So walk us through real quickly, how do you use the power flow 
and follow up with a power fill with getting the efficiency out of that light, which obviously that light will work with any composite, but the only way you get the three-second cure is obviously with the initiators that are proprietary to the Ivoclor system. And that's a great point. The, the three-second curing time is only with this composite and this light, not, not to be used with other, other brands. So in a class one or a class two, my, my first layer after my bonding agent is, is always a flowable. Um, in class twos, I like to utilize that to seal off any, any small gaps I might have between my matrix band and my tooth. Uh, in class ones, I like to just uh, basically add a layer that will um, that will cover my dentin floor, um, and I try to fill that up to the DEJ uh, as close to the DEJ as I can get with that first increment. And whether or not I use the three second cure um, just depends on uh, kind of what's going on. There are times when when I have perfect isolation and I don't necessarily need to speed through a process um, that I will. For my once again, for my own peace of mind, maybe cure in a regular time setting. Um, just because I'm old school, I, I I may look young, but I've been doing this for 20 years, and I've certainly had my share of failures over the years. And so I want to make sure that everything that I do uh, is being done to the to the highest level. So so I will always always use that power flow as a base layer, and then it's important to note that that material as a as a bulk fill flowable is not to be placed with any occlusal contacts at all. So it needs to be capped by a stronger material. It could be a bulk fill condensable material, or it could be a hybrid material. But one way or another, you need another layer of um, of a hybrid type composite over the top of that to finish that restoration. So I generally do two increments of composite uh, for most of my posteriors, and, and I've had good success with that. So I wanted to ask you this question about warming composites. Some dentists are warming their composites prior to placing it into the preparation, and that makes it more flowable, and they feel that it eliminates the need to actually use a flowable material. What are your thoughts on that? I have. I've used that a, a little bit. Um, not extensively, but I, I've, I used to teach this at a dental school. So I, I, I always try to do a deep dive into the literature to, to figure out what the research says on any given technique because we get a lot of new techniques that kind of come and this one does have a lot of merit from a from a standpoint of one adaptability of the composite obviously the more flow it has to it the more likely it is to adapt well to the to the floor of our restoration the other thing is is how well it's polymerized and and you have this thing called degree of conversion which is basically a measure of how uh, much polymerization that any material undergoes uh, and with warmed composites, there is a higher degree of conversion, a higher degree of polymerization, which is a good thing as far as our posterior composites especially go. So um, there is a lot of benefit seemingly to that technique. Uh, it's not one that I use every day because uh, it takes a lot of planning. You have to have you know, the foresight to know exactly what shade you're going to use. And, and within a busy practice, sometimes uh, we, we don't exactly have that as part of our you know, day-to-day armamentarium. So uh, I will pull it out from time to time, but uh, it does seem like there's a lot of a benefit to that technique. Are there things that you've learned over the years that have helped you place composites, you can call them tricks of the trade that have really allowed you through your teaching. Because I know when you teach, you learn things as well. I used to teach the undergraduates at Penn. I used to teach endo when I was in my grad program there. And I learned a lot about endo by teaching the dental students about endo. It was, it was crazy that this would happen. But um, there were always cases and questions they would ask and say, you know, that's really interesting. So through your experience, what can you tell us, our audience, about 
making sure that we have durability mixed with aesthetics. And the, the key, of course, is long-lasting restorations. You want those patients to leave your office and not come back, you know, in six months or a year saying that something chipped off or they're just, they're unhappy with the way that restoration is performing. What can you share with us on that? The first thing that I always hearken to is, is isolation. I, there's, there's few things more important um, in what we do than isolation. And I, I say that, but to be honest, every step is, is equally important, right? So it's this complex series of steps and you can't really get any of them wrong if you want to get the best durability and longevity for that restoration. So my, my first thing that I tell young dentists is learn, learn your materials and learn and understand the process, understand exactly what is happening uh, in each step and the ways that that can potentially go wrong. So you can, you can make sure that you get it right. Um, and isolation is a big one because once again, in busy practices, I, I am a fan of rubber dam. I, I would say I place it a majority of the time uh, when my patients will tolerate it. That is, uh, I had one the other day who absolutely would not. Um, and that happens from time to time. But if you, if you can get good isolation, it really allows you to take a deep breath and focus on applying your materials in a way that I think ensures success. If you're concerned about the patient swallowing or closing or, you know, oh, is that saliva creeping into my prep? Now you, you're having to rush. Now you're having to think about other things other than the application of, of those materials and, you know, oh, how long is, have I scrubbed the bonding agent on and things like that. So I find that really good isolation uh, allows you to really pay attention to the rest of the, the important details. In addition to the rubber dam, what else do you use for isolation for your restorative cases? Isovac is, I think, is a godsend as well for for patients who, um, for whatever reason, won't won't allow us to place a rubber dam, or if I just can't get the rubber dam on, um, on you know, for whatever reason. So those two, I think, are my go tos, and I would say ninety ninety five plus percent of the time, it's one or the other. Um, there are some patients who just won't tolerate either, and and then we've got to figure it out, right? Then I'm sweating bullets and I'm using my, my power fill system. And that is a big advantage is that speedy cure because that's the worst thing you want to do is have contamination or a big swallow and a whole gulp of saliva going right over your preparation. Uh, there's nothing, nothing worse. And I'm, I'm not a restorative dentist. I'm a, I'm a, I was an endodontist for 15 years, but I did enough post and cores to know that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... Talk about any tips for aesthetics for anterior composites. That's really important. We know the patients want to be satisfied when they walk out the door. Uh, what can you tell us about some of the things you've learned as a teacher and practitioner on creating beautiful anterior composites? I talked a little bit about the, the dent and shade composite. And I think when you have a patient who comes in and they have a class four fracture or a chipped tooth and you're trying to mask that fracture line, I think that's where a lot of dentists kind of miss out initially is is one how do you how do you prep that tooth because you do have to create a, some beveling on that tooth to be able to hide that fracture line and then optically the composite that you're using how is that going to help also hide that fracture line because if you just use a regular composite those tend to have a lot enough translucency in them that they're almost you can see almost straight through them and therefore, you can tell exactly where that tooth stops and that composite begins. So that's one thing is incorporating those more opacious composites in as a part of your class four restoration. The other thing are the, are the instruments that you use. I mean, you can really help yourself out by using the correct set of instruments in the anterior because a lot of times polish can mask 
if something is going to mimic enamel, it has to be highly polished, right? Because that's that's the nature of, of enamels that has that luster. And so what I found is there's a, a little pad that Ivacar makes called the Optrascope pad that is fantastic for helping you to flatten and smooth a composite prior to polymerizing it, which I think sends you so much further along in the finishing and polishing process than you would be if you just used the plastic instrument. So that's interesting. That's used actually before you polymerize. What is that product called? It's called an Optrasculpt pad. It's a simple little handle that has a disposable foam pad. It's the simplest design you could imagine. And it works so well in the anteriors. Ever since I discovered that, it honestly helped kind of take my my anterior composites to another level as far as the finishing and polishing, because that's a huge part. If you have a really well-placed resin that is you know, perfect shade match, but you can't get that same degree of luster as the enamel, it's going to stand out a little bit. It's going to look a little dull. So um, so that, that would be the, the two things. Uh, having the right kind of level of opaciousness in your, in your composite to mask any fracture line and having the right instrument to help you get kind of a, a luster that mimics enamel. Right. So using that instrument, you actually were able to attain uh, a seamless flow between the composite and the actual tooth structure. So there's no way, like you mentioned, it's very hard to detect where the tooth structure ends and the, and the composite begins. Exactly that. And it helps to work out any air bubbles that you might have placed uh, during the, or incorporated during the placement of that composite. So, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing worse than placing a composite and doing all your finishing and polishing and then having a void or two in that facial surface that's going to break up the light and collect stain maybe as, as that composite azers. Right. Now, we talked a lot about direct restorative, and we're going to wrap up this podcast because we're running out of time. But as far as indirect, do you scan, do you use digital intraoral scanners in your practice, or are you still taking impressions? <laughs> no. I, it's funny that you asked me that because I'm kind of known more for being a digital dentist than I am for my direct composites. Um, I, I've been, been doing CAD CAM, in-office in CAD CAM for about 13 years now. You, yeah, do, the, you do the milling chair side? I do the milling. I, I love the the staining and glazing all that it's it's right up my alley fantastic yeah well we got to do some more podcasts with you on that because that's that you know intraoral scanners are now really really picking up momentum absolutely you know how it works you get the the first group of dentists that adopt these things very early like you and perfect them and then give feedback to the manufacturers and tell them what you don't like and then they fix it and new things new versions and generations come out and uh you're definitely a valuable asset to these uh companies that are making these new products. They need docs like you out there that are smart teachers, good clinicians, and good communicators to be able to keep the process going where we keep perfecting these products so that the companies are making things that you guys that are doing the work clinically could see the benefit from. Otherwise, it's you know it could be great, but if the dentists don't like it, what good is it? Dr. Manito, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it. I know how busy you are, and uh, thanks so much for your insight. Appreciate you having me. If you've been enjoying our podcast, we'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback by leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform, whether it's Spotify, Apple, Google, or any other platform you listen on. Leaving a review is a fantastic way to support us and help others discover our show. Thanks for listening. See you next time.